we've been talking about be the church out of uh, 1 Thessalonians. And uh, one of the things that as we look at it, we know that this is a, a, a letter that, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonian Christians. And it was the, a letter about hope, a letter of encouragement. And one of the things he talked about was enduring during trials and, and hardship. And he also talked about then hold on to that hope that you have of the coming, the second coming of Christ. And all of that focused on, on their hope and their faith. And when we talk about being the church today, and we talk about the faithful church encourages one another, I mean, that just ought to be a logical thing. From the video, quick video we saw, to what we understand through scriptures is that we have a positive message. We have the gospel of Christ to share. Uh, we have a reason to rejoice and celebrate. And so we ought to be a place of encouragement. And especially uh, we, the body of Christ here at Spring Valley Baptist Church, we should be encouragers. One of the things that uh, members here at Spring Valley know that uh, it's kind of a hobby or a passion of mine is, is I love to read Westerns. That's that, uh, something that's always intrigued me. And I was reading uh, one uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was going through Kansas, and somehow I started thinking about that old song, uh, Home on the Range, Home, Home on the Range, you know, where the deer and the antelope play. I'm not going to sing it for you, but uh, the words and the music were written in 1872, and it became the official song of Kansas, and it's also known as the unofficial anthem of the West. But the part that I really like says, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. Let me ask you, have you been anywhere this week where you heard a discouraging word? Chances are, if you live and breathe, you heard a discouraging word somewhere. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live in a place, and I doubt Kansas is free of discouraging words, but that we lived in a place where there were no discouraging words? Discouraging, discouraging words are very harmful. Researchers told us that it takes nine affirming statements from parents to negate one negative or critical comment that we should make to our children. You think about all the mail that comes to your house. You've got to remember most of it is junk mail. And the research uh, updates that as well and affirms that because only 4% of the mail that you receive comes in the way of personal letters or cards. The rest of it is junk. So that means out of 100 pieces of mail that you get, only four will be something that contains a personal word or note to you. And I'm not talking about those that come, Dear Robert, and you have no clue who they are. Somebody you don't know from somewhere else, and it's for a credit card, or it's got a key to a card that will open, you know, all those kinds of things, or you've won the lottery and all that stuff, all those kinds of things. That's not personal. I know there are a lot of factors that go into that, you know, email and texting and Facebook and whatever else that we do with social media cuts out on some of that with the personal things. But that personal contact is even lost with social media because we're really not making personal contact. The contact isn't personal. It's kind of impersonal when we do that. Uh, Dr. Herbert Clark, who is uh, a psychologist at John Hopkins, has noted that even among adults, it takes us 48% longer to understand a sentence that has negative connotations in it than it does for us to understand and receive a positive statement. So we see that there's really a lot of discouraging words that go around and the need for us to be believers. I think that that's a, 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 a description of our country, that we need to be encouraging believers because of the state our nation is in, our culture, our neighborhood. And our church family here as well. A lot of discouragements going on. In fact, on Tuesday before the State of the Union address by our president, NBC News put out a poll that they had conducted 
that said that the, this, this defines our nation. Pessimism defines the state of the union. And they went on to say that 68% of Americans polled said our country is divided, it's troubled, and it's deteriorating. Folks, we need to be encouraging believers in the culture in which we live. If anybody has a message that can bring this nation back to have a relationship with God and be a positive experience to live here and, and to honor Christ with our lives, it's going to be the church. That's you and that's me who are all part of the body of Christ. Because the world is hostile and it's critical and it's pessimistic. And when you look out there today, you find reasons for it to be pessimistic. But we need to be encouragers and that we need to be sharing words of encouragement with those who need to hear that encouragement. When we look at 1 Thessalonians and our scripture today uh, in chapter 3, we'll find the Apostle Paul is writing to some young believers uh, in the faith. And he was concerned about them in the midst of the trials and difficulties that they were going through. And he was writing to them to encourage them. And I want us to listen to what he has to say. And, and I, I think you could get the essence of his heart if you really pay attention to these words. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 3, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in speaking in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer... I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution... We were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ Clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Do you catch the essence of Paul's passion for these people? And, and, and to know their well-being. Paul says when we could stand it no longer, and he says that twice. He wanted to know about them. He had to hear from them. He had to know that they were standing strong in their faith. He was there about three weeks when he preached the gospel, as he always did whenever he went into a city. And these people believed the gospel. They, they, they repented of their sins, and they confessed Christ as Savior. 
And even though he was there for that short period of time, they believed. But Paul was concerned that maybe they weren't strong enough in their faith to remain encouraged and strong when the tempter would come. And when they were going through times of trials and testing. And so he sent Timothy to check on them. And he wanted to get a first-hand report from Timothy about their condition. And so Paul then, when he hears from Timothy, and he says, Timothy has just now come to us. I almost picture Timothy standing beside Paul's shoulder, giving him that message. And Paul's seated at a desk of some kind, and he starts to pen this letter to the Thessalonians. And he wanted to do so because he wanted to write them a letter of encouragement. He had sent Timothy. He really wanted to go. So what he did was he sent his heart in this letter. And when we look through here very carefully, we find, I think, three ways that Paul tells us as he encourages these young believers in the Thessalonian church. Three ways that we too can do the same thing, that we can be encouragers. The first one is he encourages us to encourage one another in the trials of life. He mentions that in verses 2 and 3. He said, we sent Timothy, who is our brother, and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to do what? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. See, Paul has sent Timothy to be an encourager to the Thessalonians. And the wording there that Paul uses is literally uh, the wording for paraclete that Jesus used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that He gives us the Holy Spirit to indwell in us and to gift us and to teach us all things that we should know. But He also gives us the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us in life and to walk with us and to journey with us in life as the paraclete, the one called alongside of us. And He sent Timothy to them for that same reason, that he would fall in step with them in their journey through life and that he would encourage them in the trials that they were enduring. Now, we know that trials and tribulations uh, still come to us as believers. Claiming faith in Christ does not exempt us from the trials and difficulties of life any more than being a doctor exempts a doctor from ever catching any kind of illness or disease. But we can be encouraged, and we need encouragement, and we can offer encouragement. Paul was concerned that in their times of trials, that they would maybe waver in their faith. And so he wanted them to be encouraged. Uh, I read about an army chaplain who had a sign on his door that said, if you have troubles, come in and tell me all about them. If you don't have troubles, come in and tell me how you do it. You see, we all experience troubles and trials, don't we? No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, how young you are, how rich you are, No matter what your social status, no matter how long you've been a believer. See, we all are going to go through times of trials and testing and and difficulties. And and for that reason, we need encouragement. And when we're a part of the church and the body of Christ, then we ought to find encouragement here. Uh, Some of you might have seen the movie 42, uh, released I think sometime in 12 or or early 13. That uh, was the story of Jackie Robinson, the first African-American uh, who broke the racial barrier and, and played professional baseball. And, of course, back in uh, that day, back in the 40s, it was a tough thing for him to do. And he, was, he, was, you know, he had to endure racial slurs everywhere he went. Uh, and one day in that, in that first season, uh, they were, the, the Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers back then, there was a team that had him, uh, were playing in, uh, in Cincinnati in old Crosley Field. 
And a routine ground ball was hit to Jackie. And for some reason, and if you play ball, you know this, it, you could just simply miss one. And he did. As good as he was, he missed the ball. Went through his legs. We not rolled out into the outfield. And boy, did the fans start heckling then, and all the racial slurs came out. And Jackie Robinson later said he almost walked off the field and quit baseball that day until the shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, came over from his shortstop position and walked up to Jackie Robinson and put his arm around his shoulder and gave him that encouragement. And once he did that, all the taunting of Jackie Robinson that day stopped. And later Jackie Robinson said that act of encouragement saved his career. I'm told that if you go to Brooklyn, you need to go find the minor league team. Uh, I think it's the Cyclones because there's a statue commemorating that act that took place uh, between Pee Wee uh, Reese and Jackie Robinson. As great an athlete as he was, and doing what he was doing especially, unprecedented move as a black person making in his Major League Baseball, Jackie Robinson needed encouragement. He was going through a time of trial and difficulty. And I'm grateful Pee Wee Reese was there to give him that support. The reality is in life, we're all going to go through some times of trials. Paul said there that what? We were destined for them. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things he writes about that we're destined for, but this time he says we're destined for them. Now, if you're a believer in Christ and part of a body of Christ, you shouldn't have to go through those trials alone. Let me encourage you if you're in the midst of a trial right now, because everybody's in one of three places. You're either going into a trial you're coming out of a trial or you're, getting, you're, getting, you're free, had just come from one, and you're not experiencing trials and difficulties right now. But most of the time, somebody in here is going to be going through a time of trial, some kind of difficulty. You know, it comes in various forms. Don't go through it alone. Don't go through it alone. Share that with somebody that you know is a trusted believer in Christ in this church. And ask them to pray for you and ask them to pray with you. And remember what Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, if you're not in a time of trouble, or a time of testing, a time of trial right now, will you have the courage to be an encourager? So will you have what it takes to be able to encourage someone when he or she is going through that difficult time of trials and testing? See, it's simple to write somebody a note, give them a call, put your arm around them here and say, you know, I just want you to know I'm praying for you and I'm praying with you. Now, if you think you have the courage to be an encourager, I want to give you a few hints, okay? A few things I've learned in about 38 years of ministry. First thing you need to do if you're going to be an encourager is learn to be a listener. Sometimes we have our own agenda and we think we know what we want to say. We don't hear what the person is saying when he or she is talking about the trial and difficulty that they're going through. And please, I beg of you, do not use this line. Never say, I know just how you feel. Because you don't. You have no idea. You might have gone through a similar experience, but what you felt might not be what they're feeling. So don't use that line. Don't say that. Learn to be a listener first. Then be a friend. The Scripture says a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Be a friend, one who is there to love at all times. And then I would say be positive. You know, affirm God's strength and power that can be theirs and that will indeed overcome their time of the trial because it overcame the world through Jesus Christ. You know, be positive 
All for Scripture that's positive. If you don't have anything else to say, Scripture is always a great thing to turn to. Now, don't do like a couple did to me several years ago. I think back in 2005, after some testing and MRIs and stuff, we determined I had torn my labrum. I didn't even know I had a labrum. It's something up here in the shoulder and around the rotator cuff and all like that. So I had to have surgery. On a Wednesday night downstairs, right down here, one floor down in the room where we meet, uh, we were meeting for Bible study and prayer meeting. I shared with the folks that I'm going in uh, uh, the next day or so. I'm going to have um, some surgery on my shoulder. And afterwards, a couple came up to me and said, you know, we've got a friend whose brother's nephew had that same type of surgery not too long ago. And you know what? said, he died. And I said, gee, thanks for encouraging me. Hey, don't, don't do anything stupid like that. And the last suggestion I would have is be prayerful. Pray with them. Pray for them. So we've all gone through times of trials. And we know what it's like to be encouraged. And so encourage somebody else that you know needs that time of encouragement. And if you're going through a time of trial, share that with somebody. Ask them to pray with you. And and if somebody approaches you, they're putting a lot of confidence in you. So be prepared for that. Second thing Paul says we can do to encourage one another is to encourage one another with expressions of appreciation and gratitude. Now, one of the most meaningful ways uh, to encourage somebody is simply to tell him or her how much they mean to you and your life and what they've done for you. First Thessalonians 3 9, Paul says, and, and this is powerful, how can we thank God enough for you in return? For all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. Now, how do you think they felt when they read that? That they said, wow, we, we, we bring great joy to the Apostle Paul in the presence of God. Imagine somebody that has crossed your path and encouraged you in some way. And if you might write them a note similar to that, imagine what it would do to their spirits. See, Paul was thankful for these people, and he wrote them to tell them that, and to tell them that he was grateful for all the joy that he has in the presence of God because of you. See, I don't care who you are and what your position is in life, there are always going to be times that you're going to need to be encouraged. A prime example of that is Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln was sitting in Ford's Theater and assassinated on that night. Uh, after he had been declared dead, they they went through his pockets, and his family was there, his son was there. And they took everything out of the pockets, put it in a box, wrapped it in brown paper, tied it with a string, and gave it to his son, John, who then gave it to his daughter, uh, Mary Lincoln. And later in 1937, she gave it to the Library of Congress and put a note on it that said, do not open. And so it sat there until 1975. And for some reason... The, uh, the uh, librarian of the Congress there decided it's time to open it. And so they opened the box that held the contents of Abraham Lincoln on the night he was assassinated. And this is what was in that box because this is what was in his pockets. Oh, and by the way, I never wear Brooks Brothers suits because he and John Kennedy were both assassinated while they were wearing a Brooks Brothers suit. So watch out for that, okay? But here's what was, here's what was in that case they found. A, a pair of small spectacles folded into a silver case, a pair of reading glasses, a small velvet eyeglass cleaner, 
an ivory pocket knife trimmed with silver, a large linen handkerchief with A. Lincoln stitched in red, a tiny pencil, a brass sleeve button, a fancy watch fob, and a brown leather wallet lined with purple silk. And it contained a Confederate $5 bill. That's a mystery to me, that one. And then there were eight newspaper articles that he had cut out and were in his wallet. And the reason they were in his wallet were because all eight of those newspaper articles praised him and affirmed him for his leadership of the nation. He had led that nation, this nation, through a terrible time when we were divided. He brought it back together. He did a lot of things to to help this nation. And yet he needed that sense of affirmation. I have a file in my desk here in the office uh, and in my desk at study at home that I call my encouragement file. And when I get uh, cards, letters, emails, notes, uh, when the children's Sunday school classes draw me pictures and write on it and, and they give me expressions of gratitude and encouragement, I put them in that file. And that's my encouragement file. I read this week that somebody else calls his a, 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 a smile file. But I call it my encouragement file. And when things just aren't going exactly right, maybe I've been criticized, or the leadership has been criticized, or preaching has been criticized, or whatever, you know, or I just feel down. All I do is I, I pull out that encouragement file, and I open it, and I don't have to look for it. I just pull out some of the things, and I read them. And see, that, that gets to me a sense of encouragement, knowing that there are people who have better opinions than others, you know, about my leadership. But imagine what you could do to help somebody else by building an encouragement file. Imagine what it would do to you if you had material you could build an encouragement file. See, we all need that. We all need to be encouraged no matter who we are because we're going to go through times of despair. So I want to give you an assignment, okay? I want to give you an assignment for this week. I want you to to think of someone who has made a significant difference in your life and has encouraged you. Maybe it was a teacher, a friend, uh, a relative, a neighbor, somebody encouraged you in some way. And I want you to to either give them a call or, or drop them a note this week. You never know what they might be going through. It could be a teacher in school or a Sunday school teacher that thought all that teaching was all in vain. And you can write that teacher and thank him or her for being a vital part of your life. In fact, um, let me also give you this option right now. I want to say it to our students. If you've if you got your phone with you and you text and that person is in this room right now that you're thinking about, you have my permission right now to text a note of gratitude. That's the only thing you can text, but text a note of gratitude. Okay? I want to see how fast you can do that, okay? We can be encouragers by offering expressions of, of appreciation and gratitude. And then the third thing that Paul did, he said, encourage one another with prayer support. You know, Paul said he prayed for them. And then in verse 10, we find one of the things that he says. He says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may be able to see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So you'd only been there three weeks. And so there were a lot of things that they didn't know. And he needed to come back and teach them. And he was hoping he'd have that opportunity to come back and do that. But in the meantime, he would pray for them. 
And then we look at verse 12 and, and through 13, and we find what he prayed, exactly what he prayed, three things. First of all, that God would fill them with love. In verse 12 he says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Now why would that be his prayer, that your love would increase while you're going through a time of trial? Well, it's because oftentimes when we enter into a time of trial and difficulty, we withdraw. And instead of building the bridge and reaching out to people, we withdraw. And, and we are, we're not reaching out to people. And we kind of make ourselves isolated because we think nobody needs to know this. Nobody's ever gone through this before. And instead he wants us to reach out and to share that. And then another reason I think that he's saying that is, is that the way that Jesus said that we would be known as disciples is not by the size of the cross we wear around our neck or the size of the Bible or how many Bible studies you attend. But Jesus said we will be known by our what? By our love. How we love one another. You see it could just possibly be when Paul says to pray for everyone else. He could be talking about for them who are being persecuted and going through a time of trial and affliction to pray for their enemies. That would be the most Christ-like thing to do in the time of affliction, wouldn't it? As your love grows and abounds, and maybe you can learn to do that. The second is, he said, that he prayed that God would strengthen their heart in verse 13, that he may strengthen your heart so you will be blameless and holy. He wanted them to know that in the struggles of life, that when we sometimes get weary and weak, Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that God is going to strengthen our heart when we pour ourselves out before Him. And Paul was praying that they would have a faith mature enough that they would know to ask God to strengthen their heart. And then the third thing he says is for God to prepare them for the Lord's return. He said, For when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. So that's one of the major themes of 1 Thessalonians. It's about hope. And a lot of it is bound up in the hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, we're going to start moving into that as we go into chapters 4 and 5. And it's that hope of, of the coming of Christ again that keeps us going and, and, and allows us to endure because we know that if we endure and we're faithful to the end, then we will receive the crown of life. You know probably what today is, a Super Bowl Sunday, right? Let's see. Denver Broncos, Seattle Seahawks. Let's do a quick poll. How many of you are pulling for Denver? I want Denver to win. Oh. How many of you have been pulling for Seattle? The Seahawks. Yeah, okay. All right. How many of you don't care? Oh, come on. You're just just going to watch the commercials and eat, right? That's all you care about, right? Hey, today is also another important day. You know what today is as well? Groundhog Day. Yeah, Groundhog Day. Well, about 6.30 this afternoon, Denver and Seattle will kick off Super Bowl 48. Whoever wins, when it's all over and said and done and all the commercials have been run and you've eaten everything that was put before you, the winning team is going to receive the Lombardi Trophy, named after the coach Lombardi, Vince Lombardi. Uh, I, when I came along the scenes, first started watching football, he was coaching at the Packers, won the first two Super Bowls. So they named that trophy in honor of him. They used to present it in the locker room of the winning team. Now they do it on the field. 
It's a silver trophy, about 22 inches high. They play all year for it. Why was it named for Vince Lombardi? Well, because he won the first two Super Bowls coaching the Packers, but also because of what he did to the players. He put them through a grueling preseason camp. And then all year long, he had grueling practices. And he said, the reason I do this is because I don't want you to quit. I want you to be tough. He said, if you quit in preseason, you'll quit in the middle of a game. You'll quit in the middle of a season. He said, I want you to be able to be tough, and I want you to stick it out. You know what he was doing in his rough, crude way? He was encouraging them to endure. And the winning team today will be the team that has endured through all the preseason camp, all of that conditioning, and all 16 games of a regular schedule, and then all the playoff games, and then the ultimate game, the Super Bowl. And they'll receive the Lombardi Trophy. They were encouraged by coaches, maybe in a rough way. But we know that there are people who are struggling to endure and to be faithful to the end because we're going through a time of trial and difficulty. So we need to have the courage to be an encourager. And look what Paul said he did. He encouraged them in their trials. We need to encourage people when they're going through trials and difficulties. He expressed appreciation for them, how he loved them. He wanted their faith to mature. And then he prayed for them. And he prayed that God would work in their heart, work in their lives, and empower them to endure, all bound up in the hope of being ready for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So my challenge for us, that, that, that ought to be very simple, is as, as the church, when we are being the church, then we need to encourage one another. Will you accept that challenge? Father, we bow before you today. We thank you for those who've come before us and have encouraged us to be believers shared the plan of salvation with us, taught us in Sunday school, mission friends, RAs, GAs, student ministry, uh, taught a Sunday school class, all those different ways that people have mentored us through the life of the church. We give you thanks for them, Father, and we pray that uh, they will continue to be encouraged in their walk of faith with you. Uh, Father, I, I pray today for anyone in here who's going through a time of trial, that they'll be able to reach out to others in this church to receive the support and encouragement that they need and I pray for these in the church who are not going through times of trial, that they, that they will be encouraged to be an encourager. They will have the courage to be an encourager. And that they'll be able to, to give the support and love and nurture that they need to give to someone in a difficult spot. Father, help us be the church. Help us to be that faithful church on mission for you, encouraging one another. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, I pray. Amen.